0: What's going on, everyone? My name is Jake Murren, and this is the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. Thanks. And it is back in your life. I apologize for the late start. We had some technical difficulties in the studio. That's why there was no intro at the top, no sounder underneath us today. But that's all right because we're here and we're back in the studio. And it's amazing. This is the February 27th edition of spt like i said my name is jake Murrin, and i'm back as your host your host joining me are my analyst
1: michael matthews yes i am back back home it's been a while it's been about yes, a sir. month honestly but yeah you know, good I'm to have you good. back thank you jeff
0: no and problem. jeff longville what's going on all right so like i said we have a great show planned for you all today as we will break down the latest news and trends in the sports world that includes our very own zips basketball team a mac tournament preview <laughs> an update on the Cavs and the entire NBA as they resume action from the All-Star break in Cleveland and also talk a little bit about the Olympics, the MLB, the NFL, and much more. So stick around as we will be here until 1 p.m. But kicking off today's show, we will get right into some Cavs basketball. So they went 1-1 one one this week. They're 36-24 and 24 and 4th in the Eastern Conference. Before we get into the two games this week, though, I want to talk about the injury bug that has gotten to this team. Mm-hmm. Not only are we missing Darius Garland and Karis Lovert, but also Rajon Rondo went out this week. What do you guys make of the whole injury situation with the Cleveland Cavaliers right now?
1: Especially the fact that it's just our guards. Don't even forget, you know, Colin Sexton's also out right now. Right. Without having a major, major scoring guard or even playmaking guard, it's a lot harder, and we've been able to see that in the past two games. Hopefully that changes very soon. I know Rondo's going to be out for a couple weeks. Darius Garland, hopefully he gets back as well. I know Rondo, after the Rubio in- injury, he, he really stepped up. Um, I was really hoping to see him continue to step up. We were actually talking about whether or not we'd want to extend Rondo by the way he was playing already. Without him being there, it's tough. Jeff, what do you think, though? You know, especially with having uh, Darius out,
2: our offense goes as he goes. Mm-hmm. We don't have the same offensive rhythm without him. Um, so it's definitely tough being without him along with Levert. And I think with Levert being out, that's going to set back his comfort level for since sure. he was still trying to get adjusted to how we run our, our system. We did sign Tim Frazier to a 10-day deal. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he can uh, provide at least some stability for us at the point guard spot.
1: Tim Fraser's not one of my personal favorites. Uh, it's a 2K <laughs> vendetta I have against Tim Frazier. I was never good with him. Uh, I'm just not good with any short scorers. But hopefully he is able to solve some of those needs that we need at the guard position.
0: Yeah, definitely. And Darius Garland being out really, really sucks, especially for our offense. Um, Our offense kind of looks lost at times without Darius Garland and that leader on the floor. Um, He's out again with that backer injury. Uh, It's considered to be a bone bruise. He's going to undergo rehab and some treatment but my question for you guys is should he have even played in the all-star game should he have been a part of the all-star festivities if the back injury was lingering and now he's out for uh, at least the first two games after the all-star break and who knows how many more
2: you know that's a really good question I personally I think if I was in that situation I probably would have wanted to play because it's my first time being an all-star the all-star game is in Cleveland where I play but if If his injury really was that serious, he probably should have done what's best for the team and not played. Mm -hmm. But, you know,
1: if I was in that situation, I would have wanted to play as well. That's a young mistake that's made. You know, you look at Chris Paul, he didn't play. Obviously, he was was severely more hurt. But, you know, he didn't play. Donovan Mitchell didn't play. James Harden didn't play. And we all see he was very capable of playing. we're going to get into James Harden very soon. But Mm -hmm. Darius Garland, I do feel, like Jeff said, if I'm in his shoes, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm playing. In my first ever All-Star game at home, basically, I'm playing. On yeah. Team LeBron, I'm playing. Right. Yeah. You kind of
0: have to at that point. Um, it just thinks that the injury has lingered this long. Right. And you can see that impact that is having on the entire team, not playing as well or as good as we should be as of late. Um, but Karis LeVert, he's also out one to two weeks with a sprained foot. He really never was able to get his, his vibe down with the team quite yet. So hopefully when he comes back, We don't go through that process where he has to adjust. Right. No, he's adjusted right off the bat. Um, Also, like I said, Rajon Rondo out as well. He's expected to miss at least two weeks with a sprained toe. So definitely injured, especially at the guard position. Mm. Why we uh, signed Frazier, like you guys said as well. Um, Before we get into the games though, this week, I also want to talk about the King LeBron James. Yes. Um, I know surrounding the all-star break in Cleveland, There was a lot of conversations about him potentially reuniting with Cleveland and coming back to be a Cavalier. He Mm -hmm. said, quote, the door's not closed on that. Um, I honestly think he's just going to play with Bronny wherever he ends up before retiring. Um, Some more reports saying that he does want to stay in L.A. First off, what do you Do you think LeBron James will come back to Cleveland? Not do you want him to, but do you think he will? I think it'd
2: be quite difficult for that to happen, given that we all know that he wants to play with his son when Mm -hmm. his son reaches the NBA. And given that we're on an upswing right now, I don't think we'd be able to get Bronny in the draft or anything. So I would say that
1: it's pretty unlikely that he comes back to Cleveland. I would bet my money, if it was legal in the state of Ohio, I would bet my money on LeBron James retiring as a Cleveland Cavalier. Right. But when it comes to actually playing your final... You know, years in the NBA in Cleveland, that one I'm a little bit shaky on. I don't think logistically it would work out. I want to see it, but when we're talking about the facts, I think the Cavs, like Jeff just said, we are on that upswing. We're going to be where we need to be very soon. Mm -hmm. And adding somebody like LeBron James adds a lot of pressure as well. You look at Brandon Ingram, you look at Lonzo Ball, you look at Kyle Kuzma, you look at Josh Hart, All of those young players in L.A. that got shipped out, basically, um, the pressure was there for them. They looked like great young players before LeBron ever got there. I'm a huge LeBron fan. I'm not trying to say he ruined L.A. He got him a championship. But what I am saying is those young players had to cease their development and they had to be stars immediately. Luckily for us, we do have a lot of really good young players, but we haven't asked them to be superstars, and that's why they've been able to flourish as much. So if LeBron gets here, you know, Evan Mobley cannot afford to make any mistake on offense or defense. Isaac Acarl has to be an offensive scorer as well as a defender. Like there's no room for mistakes with LeBron James on the team. Because we've seen just a backlash this season that the Lakers have had because of their unsuccessful season to say any to say the least. You know, it's all that pressure there, I don't know if if we're ready for it just yet. Right, and I do
2: wonder um, if LeBron were to come back to Cleveland, what would we have to sacrifice to Mm -hmm. get
1: him? I'd imagine we'd have to give up at least a little bit of our current core. Absolutely. If we're trading for LeBron, we—I don't know how that's possible. I don't want to do that. I don't know how that's possible. Trade for him because let's let's think realistically here. We're going to have to give up three or four of our young pieces for that. I don't know any trade where I'm comfortable giving up three or four of our young pieces. I think we're going to have superstars. I don't want to trade for one. I I don't get if we're trading Mobley after you know such a outstanding rookie year. I don't. I'm not going to be a fan of that, regardless of who we're getting. Um, maybe if we're talking about Colin Sexton, maybe if you throw in like a a Lory Markin, and this is not going to get you LeBron James by any means, but you know I just don't see a world where we win a LeBron James trade. Right. Yeah. You give up your franchise to get a player like that.
0: Right, and I feel like the reason LeBron James would come to Cleveland is because we have those young pieces mm-hmm. in place, and we've showed success with the players that we do have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where this whole narrative comes out. Like, the appeal of playing in Cleveland right now is so much greater than it ever has been absolutely. for a Cavaliers team that has not had LeBron James on it in the absolutely. past. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I feel like that's where this whole narrative comes from. Cleveland is on the rise with their young core and young foundation that they have in L.A., I'm sorry, Jeff, but L.A. is just going oh, I'm down and down and down. I'm and down. very much aware. You see that Clippers game? The end of I, the Clippers I game? did not, but that's okay. It was like 20 seconds of game time. Yeah, but it took 20 like
2: minutes. 20 yeah. minutes. It was yeah, bad. insane. Yeah. And something else I want to bring up. So, like like we all agree, we don't think that we're going to be able to trade for LeBron. Mm-hmm. So, he'll be an unrestricted free agent in 2023, and by then he'll be 39 years old. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. LeBron is still dominating the game of basketball at 37, but... You know, at 39, I'm, I'm sure he's going to slow down at least a little bit, right? So, what's he going to look like if he comes back to Cleveland when he's 39 years old?
1: That's fair. I do think, you know, LeBron in Cleveland always, you look back to those days where he's carrying us across that finish line, right? I don't know if that role would be absolutely needed anymore. I don't think, obviously, he would still be the best player when you talk about, like, just history. But... I don't know if you need a savior as much as LeBron has been in Cleveland, like he would if he came back now. Maybe you're relying more on your young pieces to actually step up. But then we talk about that pressure thing all over again. Do we run into, you know, Isaac Okoro turning into this player we're thinking is going to be great in a couple years. Now we're looking at him like we looked at Kyle Kuzma his last year in L.A. It's like, what happened? You look at Brandon Ingram, as soon as he gets shipped out of L.A., all-star year it's it's just that pressure there i don't yep. know if we're ready yet right for that
0: so i asked you guys do you think it would happen now i want to ask you guys do you want it to happen considering you know we don't have to give anybody up he would sign for cheap even at the age of 39 i still think lebron will be dominant in the league mm-hmm. um signing on a cheap deal with the players that we currently have the king coming home to akron I'm pretty fond of the idea. What are your guys' thoughts? From an emotional standpoint,
2: I would like to see it because, obviously, I would like LeBron to come back home. But if I'm thinking about the future of the Cavs as a franchise, I just don't think it's the best move for us to make.
1: Makes a lot Start of sense. Off. I feel, you know, I'm I'm thinking like a a filmmaker here, and I'm trying to paint the picture of LeBron James as an NBA basketball player. And I think... When you look at, like, the last dance for Michael Jordan, if you are LeBron James and your story gets to end with you finally coming back again and getting another championship here, I don't know, it just it seems like a really good story. I want to see it. I really do want to see it. I just don't know how realistic it is. Right. Yeah, I'm not
0: sure how realistic it is. I just don't know how much he's enjoying playing in L.A. right mm-hmm. now. Um, I think it's kind of wearing them down and you know the digression of russell westbrook has been a storyline this season it's bad very very bad yeah but let's get back to our very own cleveland cavaliers this week they all they had that loss to De- detroit pistons 106 to 103 it was Laurie Markin's first game back from injury he had 22 points and six rebounds every starter scored in double digits but it still wasn't enough to get the job done what were your guys' thoughts on the
1: Pistons game? I couldn't believe, you know, we really lost to the refs. I mean, the Pistons uh, <laughs> in Detroit. It was just, I cannot believe that final sequence where they called that foul on Isaac Okoro. Kay Cunningham is literally just driving directly into him. Yeah, There's no foul there. Like, you are trying your hardest to give this bad team a win. Uh, For me, obviously not having Darius
2: or Levert took away from the offensive production. Mm -hmm. We also missed 11 free throws, and Detroit's a much smaller team than us, but we got out-rebounded by them 49-43, to and then 13-8 to on the offensive boards, and then Detroit was plus five in steals. We had multiple good looks at the end to tie the game, but we're still not a very prominent three-point shooting team, and that's a position that when we're without Darius or Levert is still not an ideal position for us to be in.
0: Yeah, I do agree with you guys. Uh, offense just looks lost. Cade Cunningham did score 17 points in the game, and the Pistons have just had our number. You know, There were some questionable um, officiating in the fourth quarter, uh, and that had the Cavs on a three-game losing streak until they won last night against the Washington Wizards. I was at that game last night. It was a fun time. We were losing for the majority of it, mm-hmm. but it felt like a playoff game in there. And Rocket, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, um, it was it was electric, and that just shows that these Cavs fans are excited about this young team on the rise, rising up the Eastern Conference standings. We did win the game at ninety-two to eighty-six. Lori Markenin again was our leading scorer with twenty-three points and six rebounds. Jetty Osman provided a nice spark off the bench with nineteen points. Uh, only shot thirty-eight point six percent from the floor, but was still able to get it done when it mattered. What were you guys' thoughts on last night's game? So, throughout the start of the game, I
2: thought that we just could not execute. We ran good plays, but the shots just weren't falling. And I thought we settled for too many threes that we Mm -hmm. didn't make, which, again, I think is a product of not having Darius on the floor. But late, uh, Lowry did hit some clutch threes, and Allen made some plays in the paint. And then Isaac and Lowry both played really good defense on Kyle Kuzma, who was just making tough shot after tough shot last night. I hate Kyle Kuzma, by the way. I I really do. He um, called Cleveland
0: irrelevant when that's he's, right. he's more relevant than anything
2: else. <laughs> that's right. Um, we held Washington to only six free-throw attempts, and then we had 13 offensive rebounds for 17 second-chance points and then 23 points off of 18 Wizards
1: turnovers. I feel like this game kind of sparked that hatred I have for Kevin Love again. <laughs> um yeah, he had a rough night shooting. It was, it was
0: bad. Every single time he caught the ball, I was like, don't shoot. And then he Please. shot. And he and shot then, and he
1: missed. And yeah, here was, we are. It was really, really bad. It was very bad. I know I've been on record on this very show to, you know, go by the alias Kevin Haight. Um, he's turned it around recently. Uh, this is not a, a good first game for me to come back up here, though. Um, Kevin Love did not look good. Hopefully you get back into rhythm very soon because we need you to have that production off the bench. Laurie Markkinen is kind of surprising me a little bit, especially from three. I feel like somebody stepping up in the absence of so many guards that we're having, having our big men being able to play make is huge. Like Evan Mobley being able to handle the ball, that's, that's not something that every NBA team can say, okay, let me put my seven-footer out there and just isolate him. Uh, I, I'm very, very fond of this Cavs team. It was a rough one last night, especially with Kyle Kuzma just deciding that he wants to play good basketball again. I don't know where that came from. Uh, It's a good win, though. Tough one, but it's a good one. Yep,
0: definitely one that we needed after losing three straight, dating prior to the all-star break in Cleveland. Um, Upcoming this week for the Cavs, we have the Timberwolves tomorrow. Then the Hornets come to town, and then we go off to Philadelphia to play the 76ers. Uh, how do you guys like this upcoming week for the Cavs playing the Timberwolves, Hornets, and 76ers? So for the Timberwolves, obviously they got
2: three guys that could carry you offensively mm-hmm. in different ways, so we're going to have to be mindful of that. With the Hornets, again, really young team, a lot of energy, going to have to keep up with them. And the Sixers, they they dominated us without James Harden with just Joel Embiid, and from what it seems like in their first game playing together, Harden and Embiid looked good playing together. So Very. we'll see how that plays out. Very.
1: I'm interested to see that Timberwolves game. I feel like, you know, if we struggle so much with Embiid, obviously Cat is not better than Embiid, but he's still top tier when you talk right. about big men in the league. Won the three-point contest. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like, you know, first off, I want to say he's not the greatest shooting big man of all time. <laughs> like Dirk does exist. Right. Like he does yeah. exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not yet. That's It's possible. Just not yet. Um, I'm worried about the Timberwolves game. I feel like if Cat doesn't do it, you know, Anthony Edwards is highly capable of doing it himself. Um, I'm looking at this Hornets game. If you remember, the last time we played the Hornets, it came down to the final possessions, Mm -hmm. to the final possessions. I feel like we're in for another one like that, especially if we don't have our guards there. It's going to be tough. Who's on Lamelo ball? Who's, you know, who's keeping up with all of these fast-paced young players? Then you look at that 76ers game. James Harden and Joel Embiid, why did we let this happen? Who let this happen? I don't find this fair at all, especially when we were just talking about the Cavs position in the East. The East is opening up. Now you add these dynamic duos. James Harden has never played with a big man any, anywhere similar to Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. This is going to be dangerous, but it's all up to Harden. Embiid's going to do what he does as long as, he stay, as long as he stays healthy. Harden, it is up to you. Sean Marks is not a friend of the show. No. It's his fault. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah, and honestly, with that trade between the Nets and the 76ers, my biggest concern was, like, I think both teams got better. Mm-hmm. Overall, mm-hmm. both teams got better. And playing in the Eastern Conference at a high level, you know, the Cavs are right there in the mix. That doesn't fare well for us, especially come playoff time. Um, but, yeah, this this upcoming week, Timberwolves at 76ers, I don't love it. Like we said, against the Timberwolves, our bigs would have to play really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and without our guards against the Hornets, we would struggle there too. LaMelo Balkan obviously light up a scoreboard any night he wants to. And then away at Philadelphia against the 76ers against a striving team that just completed that trade, James Harden and Joel Embiid on the same team, is going to be scary. Personally, I think Joel Embiid might be the frontrunner for MVP right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that. DeMar DeRozan's but up there as well. DeMar DeRozan, he man, he's... I think I'm so was, was, happy for him. I think yeah. it was the all-star game, and they called him, like, the king of the mid-range mm-hmm. shot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's no better way to describe that, man. Absolutely. Because every single time he shoots for mid-range, almost every single time he, he
1: sinks it, like...
0: It's like watching Sean Livingston against
1: our Cleveland Cavaliers <laughs> in the NBA oh, finals. I don't want to remember that. Yeah. yeah. Hate that guy.
0: Yeah. And the memories. <laughs> Thanks for that, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> But a little update on the Eastern Conference standings. Right now, the Miami Heat are atop of the Eastern Conference, followed by the Bulls, then the 76ers, and then the Cavs, and then the Bucks. The Cavs and Bucks traded spots last night with the Cavs' win and the Bucks loss. The Cavs are only three and a half games out from first place, so there is that, but I'm more excited because the Heat and the Bulls play each other tomorrow night, mm-hmm. and the Bulls are only one game back from the Heat. So that's going to be a good game tomorrow night. Between the Heat and the Bulls, which team do you guys favor? As far as in that game itself or, like, in the
2: playoffs? Let's do the game itself tomorrow night first, and then we'll do Is playoffs. the game in
0: Miami or Chicago? Um, I'm not too sure, but I can double Let's check, check on that for you. It is in Miami. It is in Miami, yes. I...
2: Mm. I think I'll go with Miami overall. I think that they have a really good roster that they built. Obviously, Chicago's roster isn't bad either. But to me, Miami's just been a tad bit more consistent, and it is in Miami. So I'll go with Miami. And as far as the playoffs, this team is really good. They don't even have Oladipo back yet. They
1: are one of my favorites in the East. That's tough. Without Oladipo, still number one in the East right now for the time being, that's scary as well. Hopefully, you know, Oladipo is able to come back and be himself. But in the game tomorrow, I actually favor the Bulls. I feel like the All Bulls right. are they're just hot right now. I feel like they have that swagger with them that you need in order to be at the top of a conference. I feel like they get the dub tomorrow. Overall, I do favor the Heat. Um, I do feel like the Heat have something to prove after their lackluster performance, to say the least, last year. Uh, That's a shout-out to the Heat fans that we have up here. Uh, It was bad. It was very bad getting swept in the first round. Uh, Anyway. Bring it up again. Yes, after (laughs) getting swept, I don't know if you heard me. It was a (laughs) 4-0 clean sweep in the first round to the Milwaukee Bucks, who eventually won the NBA championship. That you guys said that, you know, they were easy, they were light work. You got swept. Anyway, uh, the Heat I do favor in the Eastern Conference long-term. I do feel like they are the strongest built team, especially when fully healthy. Yeah. Uh, I want to say this is not a good year to be at the four and five seed in the Eastern Conference because you're running into a arguably a couple years ago top three team, a top three seed. You're going to run into the Milwaukee Bucks first round if you're the Cavs right now. That's not a good idea. No, it no, is not a no. good idea at all. Yeah,
0: we should definitely try and climb those Eastern Conference rankings, but luckily it is a tight-knit race. Like I said, only one game separating number one and two. And even down at number six for the Boston Celtics, they are hot right now. They've won nine of their last 10. They are 36 and 26, but they're only four and a half games back from first place. So depending on what team gets hot down the stretch, these Eastern Conference standings could look very different come the postseason. But that will do it for us for the first half an hour for Sports Power Talk. I do apologize about the technical issues at the top of the show i think we might have figured it out but we will be right back with more sports power talk after the break what's going on everyone my name is jake murren and we are back with more sports power talk the best sports talk show this side of lake erie joining me today are my analyst michael matthews yes that is me and i am him and jeff longville what's going on all right guys so let's continue our nba discussion from before break Moving on from the Cavs, though, let's go right into the league. And I came up with some categories for, for us to discuss coming out of the All-Star break. So let's start it right off the bat with the most dangerous team coming out of the All-Star break.
1: I have a feeling it's going to be the Golden State Warriors. Okay, And what I am what I mean by that is looking at Steph Curry's 16 three-point game in the All-Star game. Obviously, it is the All-Star game, but it means something when you're able to see those shots go in, Mm -hmm. especially as effortlessly as Steph Curry made them look. I have a feeling he moves himself up in that MVP ladder to the top three position. And I feel like the Warriors stay where they're at in the Western Conference, especially because the Suns are missing Chris Paul for some time. They might finish first in that conference. And I hate to say it, but I think the Warriors are back, guys. Yeah. I, I would really rather them not be. But I would it, love yeah. if they died after I've that. I've had that <laughs> feeling
0: all season long, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 And uh,
2: um, For me, I have two. So the first one is Miami because Victor Odibo could reportedly make his debut soon. Mm-hmm. And like we discussed earlier, they're already number one in the East without him. So when they get him back, we'll see what happens there. And the second one is Philadelphia because of that James Harden trade. In his debut, Harden had 27 points, 12 assists, and 8 rebounds in a 133-103 to 103 dominant victory mm-hmm. over the Timberwolves. And Embiid also had 34 points and 10 rebounds, which could be some foreshadowing to how the two of them could potentially work very well together. But again, it's a small sample size, so we'll see what happens.
1: My other team in the East, ironically, was the Brooklyn Nets, not the uh, 76ers. I feel like obviously the 76ers get James Harden, but the Nets having Ben Simmons and not we're not relying on him to be the primary ball handler is huge. Right. Especially because you know New York is getting ready to relax some of the mask mandates or not mask mandates, vaccine mandates uh in their arena, so Kyrie Irving will be allowed to play home games very soon. Kyrie, we all know this firsthand is a very dangerous player. Very dangerous, especially if he's rested and healthy, which he happens to be right now. So if you look at long term, if you have Kyrie, you know, heading into the playoffs, he's only playing his 30th game of the season. It's kind of scary for others that have played 82. So I look at this team. I look at uh, Ben Simmons being added along to that. Also, Andre Drummond, who I was just sure by this time last year, would be playing for the Guangdong Tigers (laughs) in uh, Shanghai. But uh, I, I am confident that those Brooklyn Nets, if healthy with Kevin Durant being their best player, they're going to that conference finals.
2: I think you could also throw in Milwaukee here as well because I want to see how that Ibaka trade works out. Yeah, it
1: should be very interesting. I think, you know, Giannis is still having an outstanding season, Mm -hmm. but he's being overshadowed by all the other storylines. They're the defending champs. They have every right to be where they were last season. I just don't know if the, you know, competition's just a little bit stronger this time. Right. Yeah,
0: I do agree with both of you, especially your assessment of the Nets, Mm -hmm. Michael, I will get to that in a second because I did pick them for a different category, but my dangerous team coming out of the break is the Philadelphia 76ers. They're third in the East, only three games back from first. Um, That game against the Timberwolves that featured the first game with James Harden and Joel Embiid on the floor was great. Embiid had 34 points and 10 rebounds. James Harden nearly had a triple-double, had 27 points, 12 assists and 8 rebounds. Even a guy like Tyrese Maxey had 28 points that night they scored 133 total points against the Timberwolves. Um, I think they are, are searched for a run coming in the second half of the season. And I could see them competing with the Heat and the Bulls for that top seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, so we talked about the most dangerous team. Now let's talk about the opposite. Let's talk about the least dangerous team coming out of the break. A team that other teams should be able to. To defeat and bounce back from.
1: Jeff, you're gonna hate me. It's the Los Angeles Lakers for me. That's, oh man. I expected that. That's okay. So I want to talk about the Lakers for a second. Uh obviously I'm a huge LeBron fan, but let's let's get serious here. Uh the Lakers, right? After trading for Anthony Davis, they were able to win the championship immediately. It's a W. But let's talk about the future. You have traded every single first round pick you have until, you know, LeBron's daughter is going to be eligible for the NBA draft. And now you're stuck. You're stuck with the AARP team, (laughs) everyone 30 up besides Malik Monk and Uh, Stanley Johnson and Kendrick Nunn if he ever, you know, can come back. I was really thinking he'd be playing by now. but He bumped his knee at home on a coffee table. He's just been out ever since. And we're all hoping for him to come back, but he's not here. You rely on Carmelo Anthony to be, you know, a primary scorer in order for you to win. It's not looking good, especially when, you know, Russell Westbrook is just, for lack of a better term, okay. He is okay, <laughs> and he's never been more okay in his entire career. He's not, he's not good. He's not great. He's okay. Anthony Davis does not manage to stay on the court for more than five games consecutively, and I don't see a world where the Los Angeles Lakers even sniff a playoff spot. I agree. Dang, some strong words there. So for me, um, this all
2: this kind of hurts me to do. It's it's conditional, but I think it's possible. If we're not healthy, I think it could be us. Yeah. We need to we need to get healthy for Dang. the postseason or we're not gonna tough. I don't think we're gonna amount to a whole lot. And then another team I have are the Suns. Not necessarily to be um least dangerous, but I do wonder how that Chris Paul injury is going to affect them. Mm-hmm. They lost to the Pelicans one seventeen to one oh two which snapped an eight-game win streak they had going for them. But they were also without campaign and Aaron Holiday, which put Devin Booker in the primary decision-making spot. And we all know that's not what he does best. He scores best. And it was also the second half of a back-to-back, so I guess time will tell. And then one more team I have are the Knicks. And I actually want to talk about the Knicks for a second because it kind of seems like there's a lot of turmoil going on with them, but it seems like they're trying to make Kemba Walker their scapegoat by benching him for the rest Mm -hmm. of the year. But, like, there's other issues besides Kemba. Obviously, Kemba's not having a great year. But you look at Julius Randle, who was their best player last year, their all-star, the most improved player of the year. He has struggled. Derek Rose's injury has also not been good for them. And then the East as a whole has just gotten a lot more competitive. So there's just other issues besides Kemba that are wrong with them, but it seems like they're pushing all of their problems on Kemba, and it's not fair.
0: Yeah, I do agree with both of you guys, but... When I thought of least dangerous team in the NBA, I immediately went down to the bottom of the rankings. Mm, okay, teams that can be stomped on in any given night. And looking at the Eastern Conference and Western Conference, I decided on the Houston Rockets as the least dangerous team. I don't think they're beating many teams nowadays. They're only they're fifteen and forty four this season. It's a rough season. They sure. are one and nine in their last ten and they're on an eight game losing streak. Mm-hmm. Um I mean they even lost to the Orlando Magic in the East to have a worse overall record than they do. Mm-hmm. So even against a team that, you know, you they might win against, they also lost. So I'm going the Houston Rockets for the least dangerous team coming out of the break. Now let's go to the most vulnerable team coming out of the break. I know we those the least dangerous team and the most vulnerable team could be very similar, Mm -hmm. but for me, I'll go first. I have the Phoenix Suns as the most vulnerable team. Basically, for everything that you said, Jeff, I think that Chris Paul injury, the fractured thumb, is going to affect this team a lot. It was a back-to-back, so we'll see how um, time will tell with that loss against the Pelicans. But without Chris Paul, they still have the best record in the league, but the Golden State Warriors are hot right now. I think they could take that number one seed away from the Suns mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Chris Paul's injury and everything else
1: considered. I actually had the Cavs as most vulnerable for the you know, reasons Jeff had them uh, for our last category. I do feel this is the prime area where you have to solidify your spot in your conference. And when you have major, major injuries, especially to one or two positions, key positions, this is where you see teams literally fall completely out of the playoff race. We are capable of doing that right now if we do not remain healthy. So you look at if Darius Garland does not come back, let's say he's out for a month. In that month, if you do not have somebody else to to step up as a primary playmaker, primary scorer, you will see the Cavs team fall from fourth in the Eastern Conference to out of even a play-in spot. Simple as that. It's very possible. Mm, I agree. Um For me,
2: I have the Cavs and Suns, again, um, with us just not being very healthy. I know we just beat the Wizards, but they didn't have Bradley Mm Beal. They didn't have their new free agent acquisition in Chris Epps Porzingis, so we should have won that game uh, no matter what our injury status was. I think that we could turn into a team, like Michael said, that other teams in the East could take advantage of and move up in the standings over. And for the Suns, again, like you said, Jake, without Chris Paul, they're still the best in the West, but with the Warriors being as hot as they are right now, that could change.
0: Yeah. And even the Grizzlies could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could rise up right. the ranks in the Western Conference.
1: I even think a team to watch is the New Orleans Pelicans. I feel like after trading for CJ McCollum, drama. He's, been, he's been killing it, though. Uh, CJ's been doing outstanding. Brandon Ingram is finally getting back there. The question mark, the huge question mark, the six foot nine question mark is Zion Williamson and whether or not he's going to return. Or actually have him for a season because if you remember zion is a all-star mm-hmm. zion was having one of the most efficient seasons we've seen in a very long time the only problem is he's not playing now so once he gets back out there i think that pelicans team looks outstanding do you think he plays another game for the pelicans i think he does all the drama personally i think he does i do feel like jj reddick had a very very you know horrible comment that he made that might be true about Zion just not being you know, a guy that you can count on as a teammate, a guy that's you know, going to pick his teammates up. Zion's been trying to prove that after that comment was made, but I feel like the Pelicans are in a very vulnerable position when it comes to just their status in the Western Conference. If they end up trading Zion, this is going to go down as one of the worst draft decisions ever. Mm-hmm. Because he was a surefire first overall pick. If you have the first pick, Zion's there, you know who you're drafting. It doesn't mm-hmm. even matter if you have 15 other power forwards. You're going to draft Zion. John Morant at number two was an outstanding pick. The Grizzlies, you know, found their gold mine, everything. But Zion Williamson has the capability of being a MVP in this league. But if he's unable to play for your team, that means nothing. Mm-hmm. So trading him, you're not going to get an, enough in, in return because we haven't seen him play in a year. That whole bubble situation where he was on a minute restriction, even though he said he was healthy, you know, it. it's not looking good for them. So they're very vulnerable at this moment. Right. I think that New Orleans has been
2: extremely um, cautious with Zion, mm-hmm. like, in a bad way Mm -hmm. going back to what you said mike about the uh, jj reddit comments jj i believe said that zion is a detached teammate yes because when cj came over zion did not reach out to him or anything like you're supposed to do so i think that his relationship with the pelicans right now is not where it needs to be i'm not saying he won't play another game for them but it's not where it needs to be
0: Yeah. yeah definitely some relationship building is needed in new orleans let's go to our next category though our last one What is the team that's most likely to make a second-half run after the All-Star break?
1: This one's going to be tough. I do not like this team at all. I, as a Cavs fan, was told to hate this team. I'm going to talk about the Boston Celtics. I do feel in this very tough Eastern Conference, the easy answer to say, who's going to make a good run in the East? The Nets. Obviously, they got better. They're having players that are going to be able to play for them. Let's just say the Nets. But the Celtics are in a very interesting situation. I feel they have some of the best young talent at the forward positions. I do feel like come playoff time, they're out of that, you know, spot looking almost very close to the play-in. I almost feel like because of the injuries, they take Cleveland's spot in the standings right now. I see them finishing fourth or fifth. So, Michael just made me feel really bad because I have the Nets. Nets. (laughs) Kind of stereotypical. (laughs) I also have the Brooklyn Nets. It's the very easy choice. It is the easy choice. Um,
2: I'm intrigued to see, you know, when Ben Simmons or if Ben Simmons plays this year, what he brings to the table with uh, him, uh, Kyrie, and Katie when he comes back. And like you mentioned earlier, Mike, with the uh, vaccine mandates in New York Mm -hmm. being lifted potentially uh, pretty soon, uh, I'm interested to see what they're capable of doing. And I think that they're going to move up from the eight seed.
0: Yeah, I also went with the Brooklyn Nets. It is a safe pick, but I think it's a good pick. Like yeah. you said, they did get better. Both teams got better in that trade. Getting Ben Simmons is one thing, but they also got depth. Mm-hmm. And that's been the problem with the Nets. In years past, they didn't have the depth. They only had the big three. Now they have Seth Curry. They have Andre Drummond. They just signed Goran Dragic as yeah. well. And once everyone is healthy, they could be dangerous and rise through the rankings of the Eastern Conference By the end of the season, you know, they went on that terrible losing streak before the break. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Kyrie just went off last night. I do like the Brooklyn Nets making a run. They're eighth in the East right now. I could see them very well being around that four or five uh, seed in the East by the time the playoffs start. So the top contenders in the East and West, um, if you guys could pick just a couple teams, maybe one or two from each um conference east and west who are the top contenders for the nba title right now so with this james harden ben simmons
2: trade i think those were more or less moves for next season so i'm not going to say the sixers or the nets for right now but for me in the east i have miami and milwaukee i'm not sure who i favor i want to see how the debacle trade plays out for milwaukee and i want to see how dangerous miami can be when they get all depot and then in the west I have the Suns and the Warriors, I think, the two best teams in the entire NBA right now. We'll see what happens with the Chris Paul injury for Phoenix, but those are my two picks for the West.
1: My top two in the East are going to be the Heat and the 76ers. I do feel like that move for the 76ers was a win-now move. I feel like the move for the Nets was a little bit for the future. I feel like James Harden is that type of player where you're going to question his commitment to a team because you've been able to question it for the past Three teams he's been on Uh, but regardless I do feel like the 76ers are prone to be a top seed in the Eastern Conference and they will be in the Western Conference I actually have the Warriors like I mentioned before and I also have the Memphis Grizzlies I do feel like the Grizzlies are playing a different type of basketball right now the fast pace how are you going to keep up with John Morant it's just it's beautiful to watch it's one thing I will say I do feel they're they're very young I don't know if they have the playoff experience like a Warriors, like the Suns, but I do see them finishing top two.
2: If we get a Western Conference Finals between the Suns and the Grizzlies, I'm going to have a great
0: time. That sounds absolutely exciting. Fantastic. Just sit back and not care who wins. Right. Honestly. So I thought those were great picks from both of you for the West. I also have the Warriors and Suns like you had, Jeff. Um, I think the Grizzlies are in that conversation, Mm -hmm. But I think in a seven-game series, the Warriors and the Suns, they have that experience right. to beat the Grizzlies. I did say the Suns were my most vulnerable team in the NBA, but come playoff time, once they get Chris Paul back, I think they're right there in the mix for the title contention. And then for the East, I also have the Heat and the 76ers. I just think they have the best chance at finishing the season strong. Mm-hmm. And if you finish the season strong with that momentum, that fair farewe- what that, bids you well coming to the playoffs so those are my teams to look out for come the playoff time let's go over what happened during the all-star break in the nba Um, at least the all-star game but i'm going to run through the saturday nights and even the rising Rising stars game as well and we can pick our favorite and least favorite events between what happened during all-star weekend in cleveland so Starting off the Rising Stars game, you had that mini-tournament race in 75. Um, As we know, Team Barry won with Evan Mobley and Isaac Mm Okoro on the team. Then the Skills Challenge kicked off Saturday night with a shooting passing relay and half-court shot rounds. Uh, Team Cavs with Jarrett Allen, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley beat the Antetokounmpo Bros and Team Rooks. Then the three-point contest, Carl Anthony Towns is being called the best big-man shooter there ever was. He won the three-point contest. Um, and then the slam dunk, the main events contest, Obi Toppin was the winner from the Knicks. Between those events, you could throw in the All-Star game too if you want to. But what was your guys' favorite and least favorite event from All-Star weekend? So for me, I had the All-Star game itself, more specifically the fourth quarter
2: because that's when actual basketball do you like All-Star the format? Being played. I, I do. I, I really do. Well. I love it. And it was really cool seeing LeBron hit the winning shot over Zach Levine. Mm-hmm. And I also had the skills challenge because
1: I really liked the new format they did and also the Cavs won, so that was pretty cool to see. I feel like for my favorite, it was the three-point contest. I think Jeff made a lot of great points with the All-Star game, especially that fourth quarter. It's it's something about seeing the best basketball players out right now actually trying mm-hmm. in that fourth quarter. You know, they have all the fun they want to have in the first three. That fourth one, when they're trying to reach the target score, they're down to business. I love it. Uh, it reminds me kind of like a bubble type of basketball. Like everyone is so like focused on every single possession. Um, anyway, I do feel like the three-point contest was one of my favorites. It might have been because of what came after that that made me really appreciate it even more. Yeah, uh, That dunk contest, I'm sure we're going to talk about <laughs> it more in detail very soon. Uh, the three-point contest with Carl Anthony Towns winning, it's just a great look. I, I love seeing people actually skilled enough to beat all of the other great shooters in the league. Congrats to Cat. Yeah.
0: So my favorite All-Star Weekend event was actually the Rising Stars game. Mm. Usually that's not a game that I tune into. Right. But the new format of the four teams and the mini tournament racing to 75 points. And I know, like Jeff, we had talked about how we didn't like them playing to 50 Mm. in the qualifying game and then 25 in the final. And I actually really liked that and how it played out because – In the championship game, they were playing hard. Mm -hmm. Like the fourth quarter in the All-Star game, they were playing hard. Um, All that young talent trying to get to that target score of 25. And I love the target score system. The fourth quarter in the NBA was amazing, or in the NBA All-Star game was amazing. In the Rising Stars game, we got three different games of target score um, scenarios. And you even throw in that little shot-making challenge there as well, yeah, that Rising Stars RIP game. R. I. P. Scotty Barnes. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Bad. Oh man, that, that was really terrible. Bad. I feel like I could have made that shot. Right. Of course. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe the lights got to him or something. But that Rising Stars game, it was exciting. And of course, you know, Evan Mobley and Isaac Okura were on the winning team, mm-hmm. so you got to love that as well. But I think we can all agree that our least favorite events from the weekend was the slam dunk contest. Guys, was this the worst slam dunk contest? In NBA history. I almost fell asleep. Yeah.
1: Like, I'm yeah. not joking. Was bad. I almost fell asleep. I do remember one worse, and that was the one, uh, I believe, Glenn Robinson III and Derrick Jones Jr. Before he was the Derrick Jones Jr. that we all know and love to this day, they were in the finals. It was very boring. I think it was 2017. This one was the worst one recently. I feel like last year's was actually very good, and now you're stuck. Now we're asking the same question of, do we even want the, the dunk contest? Should it be before the three-point contest? Are we, run, are we running out of ideas? I think for the that's dunk the one of the yeah. biggest things. Yeah, I mean, how many people can you jump over and it's like, whoa! <laughs> right. like he did it. He did a windmill, and wow, he got it on his eighteenth attempt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the lack of creativity and the time it takes yeah. for them to make a dunk. Those were the two biggest things for me. Just, I think it was Cole Anthony who was putting on the Tims mm-hmm. in the first mm-hmm. round. It
1: wasn't that cool.
0: It really it, wasn't. It, it yeah,
2: wasn't. It wasn't worth watching him put them on for five minutes. Right. Like
0: the shock factor, you could have just shown them on your feet and made a big deal. You didn't have to take off your shoes, put them on, spend 10 minutes trying to put them on, yeah. and then spend another 10 minutes trying to actually make the dunk. It, it was kind of all over the place. But one thing I'll say is that the NBA knows what to do in this kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. They've reformatted the Rising Stars game, the Skills Challenge, even the NBA All-Star game over the years. Even adding, like, the Mountain Dew shot from the three-point contest is really entertaining. So I'm going to leave it up to the NBA. I think they are great when it comes to All-Star weekend festivities, whether that's picking the right people. I think that's also a big thing. Like, why wasn't John Morant in this contest? We saw what he did in the All-Star game. Um, The names weren't too big. I know, like, they were the best dunkers, but you also have to have that name value.
2: Were they, though? Cause like I mean I, I'm okay. That's why they're picked, right? I don't know. I I think it's the dunk contest is more about trying to give somebody more attention than they really deserve. Like mm, I was cool could with be. I was cool with Obi Toppin, and I was cool with Jalen Green because when Jalen Green dunks, he does dunk with authority. But it's in game. Yeah, it's in game. And with Juan Toscano-Anderson and Cole Anthony, I was like. Really?
1: Yeah. I, th- I think we can do better than that. We've had dunk contests. Okay, let me try that one more time. Dunk contests in the past with Hamadou Diallo being the winner or Glenn Robinson the third. You know, we've had these no name winners, and it's not a really a question of, oh, LeBron needs to be in the dunk contest. As long as we have good dunks, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the issue is we have no name and bad dunks. So. What are we supposed to do here? Juan Toscano and Anderson made it to the finals. I'm not saying he didn't deserve that, but maybe if Jalen Green was able to dunk in his first three attempts, maybe that would See, have See, that happened. would have been and
2: really that would... cool if he would have hit it. Yeah. It
1: looked cool, but he just couldn't.
0: And that hurt. was probably the most creative dunk that was yeah. attempted that night, mm-hmm. for sure. It was um, bad.
1: It was just bad. I almost fell asleep, like Jeff said.
0: Do you guys foresee a way that the dunk contest gets fixed? Would you change anything in particular, whether it be... The players that are involved, you only get a certain amount of attempts or something wild.
2: I think that we can start by getting more premier dunkers in the event. Yes. And like I said last week, if we just had Zach Levine versus Aaron Gordon every year, that'd be much better.
0: Aaron Gordon robbed both years.
2: He was. But he can get redemption if he does it every year.
1: I feel like if we do the idea that we've done before of the teams in the dunk contest. So if you have Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon on the same team versus John Morant and Zion Williamson, just for namesake. And you have them both have to reach a certain score in order to move on to the next round. And then whoever gets the best dunk competes against the other team's best dunker in the finals. I feel like if you have a, an aspect of teamwork in this dunk contest, maybe it inspires you to be a lot more creative. I like it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm just throwing stuff out there. Hopefully, So it
0: I'll, I'll throw something else out there because it just sparked my mind when you said that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Aaron Gordon said he's probably not going to, participate in the competition again because of what happened against Zach Levine. What if they do like a draft and Mm. Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon are the captains Okay, and they draft amongst the best dunkers in the league and they create their teams. Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, they don't have to dunk themselves, but they will be like the head coach or captain of their team that they draft that will go head to head.
1: They've done coaches in the dunk contest, but they've all been former players. If right. you have current players like you do the All Star game, right. that might be interesting. Yeah. I like that. And Team Gordon, like Team Levine.
0: And those are the best two dunkers we've seen in years. Yeah. So you put them as the captains, I think that makes a whole lot of sense.
1: I like that. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, we are going to cut to break. When we return, we're going to talk about Zip's basketball, a little bit of a preview for the MAC tournament. Also, Jeff is going to fill us in with what's going on in the rest of the college basketball world. All that and more coming up on Sports Power Talk. What's going on, everyone? We are back with more Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. My name is Jake Moran, and I am the host of today's show, joined by my
1: analyst Michael Matthews. I kind of fell off. I'm not gonna lie. I used to have like really creative stuff. Camera break. I don't have
0: anything in so my. Head. You're just a bit. I fell off. I fell all off. All right. Fair enough. And Jeff Longville. Michael has not fallen off. I appreciate there you. Go. It. No there you problem. Yeah, there. we gotta boost your confidence here, Michael. It's all right. So let's get right back into the basketball world, but instead we're gonna go to college basketball and talk about our very own Akron Zips. They went two and zero this week. So good on the Akron Zips. They're now 19-9. and nine, Still sit at number five in the Mid-American Conference with two games left to play this season. The first game they played this week was against the Bowling Green Falcons, and we certainly do own Bowling Green. Facts. So uh, John Gross, in his post-game comments, he talked about how engaged the team was with the chemistry on offense. Also mentioned the free-throw struggles. Only shot seventy five percent from the free throw, and then we also had some success from beyond the arc. Few turnovers, and he did criticize the defense pretty bad. But in an eighty two to sixty eight win, I th- think he was just trying to find something to complain about. I mean, giving up sixty eight points isn't bad, but you also scored eighty two. Um, I don't see why he was upset, but I mean, good coaches always find a way to improve. What are your guys' opinions on the Bowling Green game?
2: So what stuck out to me was that the Zips were plus 13 in rebounds and, like you said, struggled from the free throw line but made 18 free throws to Bowling Green's only 16 attempts, and there was really good balance scoring from the starting unit.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, we win this game, obviously, at the line. also behind the line, you know, the three-point line, I do feel we're not the, you know, greatest three-point shooting team, but, you know, when we need it, we get it. And... It is kind of, you know, worrisome come MAC tournament, but we'll get into that a little bit later. I do feel like this game was a good win. Obviously, the concerns were there from John Gross, rightfully so.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, Ali Ali was the leading scorer with 17 points, and Michael Dawson also had 17 points in the game. Um, Enrique Freeman had a double-double with 11 points and 11 rebounds. Double-double machine from Freeman. And then we go on the road to play the Ohio Bobcats. Who was the number one team in the Mac. They're now number two because we beat them ninety-one to eighty-three. And don't get tricked by the final score. The final score makes it seem like it was a lot closer than it actually was. At halftime, we were leading by twenty points, and Enrique Freeman and Ali Ali were outscoring the Bobcats in the first half, going into halftime. Yeah. Just a great game from the zips what were your guys' opinions on the win over the bobcats obviously this is a really good win over one of the
2: best teams in the mac on the road um ohio made 15 threes to the zips four which isn't great but the zips made 27 made free throws to ohio's eight they were also plus 14 on the boards and in points in the paint and then plus 12
1: in fast break points as well this was a game where I was shocked to see how well we were shooting from inside the arc. Obviously, like Jeff said, we didn't shoot too well from the outside. But, you know, at one point we were up in this game by 22 points. It, like you said, Jake, final score does not show that. But this was a dominant win towards the middle of this game. Uh, but I do feel like this was a, a very needed victory heading into the tournament. We obviously have a few left before, you know, we start. But this is something, like Jeff said, against such a good team in the MAC was very needed for the Sips' confidence.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. Ali Ali went off in this game scoring 22 points. He was 9 of 13 from the floor. Enrique Freeman was one rebound shy of having yet another double-double. Uh, every starter scored in the double digits, which was great to see as well. So only two games left in the regular season. We go to play Ball State on the road on Tuesday in our last meeting with Ball State, we did win eighty-four to seventy-four on January eleventh. They are currently the sixth in the MAC. And then on Friday, we go to play Central Michigan at home, actually, and we won against them on January twenty-fifth by a score of sixty to fifty-six. And they are currently seventh in the MAC. Do you guys like our last two games and how we fare well in these two?
1: Yeah, these are two dubs. Like I'm, I'm very yeah. confident in saying that these are two dubs.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think. What we're going to have to do, especially, is control the pace because both of those teams play much faster than the Zips. And then also execute offensively, especially against Central Michigan, who has a defensive efficiency rating of 113.2.
0: Yeah, I do agree with you guys. Um, those games, it's nice that we're playing the sixth in the MAC and the seventh in the MAC. Um, should give us that confidence going into the MAC tournament, which is huge. Uh, being played at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Hopefully, WZIP Sports is in house. Yes. But the MAC standings as they sit right now Toledo is number one, followed by Ohio, Kent State, Buffalo, and Akron. Who do you guys like right now to maybe win the MAC, or maybe a couple teams that you're thinking will get the job done? So for me, you look at Kent State, they're on a nine game win streak.
2: Buffalo's on an eight game win streak. To me, those are the hottest teams in the MAC right now. I think that those are two good picks. But Akron is heating up right now, so I wouldn't count them out either.
1: Absolutely. And Toledo actually plays Buffalo before the season is over, so I'm very excited to see that one. After that game, I feel like I might have a better understanding of how real Buffalo really is. I do really like Buffalo. Um, I almost want to pick them. But, you know, I'm a Zips fan, so obviously I'm going to pick the Zips. But Buffalo just has this this energy with them. I do feel like they're very capable of winning the MAC. You know, you look at last year's tournament, Toledo was by far the favorites. They get bounced out in the second round to Ohio. It was was an interesting tournament, to say the least. I do feel like this one, Ohio's not going to fare as well as they did last time, winning the entire thing. I do not want Kent State to win a single game in this tournament. (laughs) I do not want them to win a single game in this tournament. Honestly, I want to see them second round. I want I want that rivalry rematch in the MAC tournament, knocking them out. They can have that little win in the regular season. Let's knock you out in the tournament. I, I, want, I Mike
2: wants the smoke. Yes, yeah. absolutely.
1: I can't agree more with you. Um,
0: personally, I don't think Ohio can get the job done this mm-hmm. season, at least. And that leaves me with the other teams. And this is kind of what I went through. So Buffalo, like you said, they do play Toledo before the regular season ends, but also Buffalo does play Kent State. Mm-hmm. By the time the season ends, I was looking at Kent State and Buffalo as my top two picks just because they are hot. Kent State on the nine-game winning streak, Buffalo on the eight-game winning streak. Those winning streaks could very well end by the time the regular season finishes off. And Buffalo, those two games against Toledo and Kent State, it's like night and day between the Zips final schedule. Yeah. Playing Ball State and Central Michigan, those should be two games we win. Whereas Buffalo, playing against Toledo and, and Kent State, that is not an easy ask Especially with how hot those two teams are right now, right now I would have to go maybe the Electric Chickens, mm-hmm. but I honestly think that the Zips could get the job done. Come time for the MAC tournament, I'm super excited for that. It's all going down March 11th, so we will see how that plays out. Um, and Jeff, we will send it to you because I want to know what's going on beyond the Zips, beyond the, just the MAC. Conference, what's going on in college basketball itself? So, yesterday, for the first time ever,
2: the top six teams in the AP poll all lost, starting with number one, Gonzaga. They lost to number 23, St. Mary's, which isn't, you know, at least they lost to a ranked team, and it's their first conference loss since 2020. Number two, Arizona, lost to unranked Colorado, Mm. but it's only their third loss of the season, and all of them have been on the road. Number three, Auburn lost to number 17, Tennessee. Number four, Purdue lost to unranked Michigan State. And Tom Izzo tied Bob Knight's Big Ten win record with that win. Number five, Kansas lost to number 10, Baylor. And again, Kansas struggles against ranked Big 12 opponents on the road. And number six, Kentucky lost to number 18, Arkansas. And Arkansas has been on a roll as of late. They've won 13 of their last 14 games. Man, that's tough. Mm -hmm.
0: Arkansas coming strong. Yeah. So I did see a couple of those upsets, like you mentioned, um, especially Purdue against Michigan State. That Mm -hmm. was a pretty close game down to the wire, but Michigan State was able to get the job done. Uh, Jeff, give us your favorites for March Madness coming up here shortly.
2: So it's a real, you know, I don't have, I don't have like a clear champion as of right now. If I have to pick one team that I feel the most comfortable with, I'm going to take Arizona like I said earlier, they only have lost three times this whole season. They're really good on both sides of the ball. They're a really good rebounding and passing team. And you look at their resume, they beat UCLA. They beat USC. They beat Illinois on the road earlier. I have been rolling with UCLA for the bulk of this season, but I just, as of late, I can't really trust them. So Arizona has replaced them as my favorite. That's fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair
0: enough. So, how about, how about you guys?
2: Do you guys have any favorites for March Madness?
0: So, I have a really, really bad tendency when it comes to making my bracket mm-hmm. of picking Gonzaga every single year. Yeah, yeah you shouldn't do that. <laughs> just because they're always there, and I'm like, yeah, oh, that's a, that's yeah. a team I recognize. Plus, like Bulldogs, I like just that that name. My high school was the Bulldogs, so I usually pick Gonzaga. Um, it usually doesn't go well for me, but Gonzaga tends to make it pretty far in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So, but right now, at least for this season. I do like what I'm seeing out of Purdue and Kentucky, but they both lost yesterday, so I might need to do some reevaluating come tournament time, but also we have like the whole conference tournaments before we get to the big dance, so Mm -hmm. I'll have to see how that all plays out as well.
1: I'm a huge underdog type of guy. I always, always, always do not count out Villanova. Villanova is a, a program where I feel like you're going to get probably a Sweet 16 appearance almost yearly. It just, it just seems to come to Villanova like that. UConn used to be the same way with men's. A team I want you all to watch out for, the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Okay? For real? The South Dakota State <laughs> Wait, for real? When, <laughs> not to win the whole thing, but if you look at, you know, like a Oral Roberts beating. I don't want to yeah, talk about it. Yeah, beating Ohio about State, it. I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, when I talk about a Golden Eagles-type run, I think you're getting that with the Jackrabbits this year. Mark my words. The Jackrabbits will be a household name. So are you South thinking, Dakota like, State. You're thinking like Sweet 16? Sweet 16, maybe just 32. I don't know. They're upsetting somebody. Okay. That's one thing I will say. Okay. And fair enough, the Jackrabbits.
0: Yes. You see that coming, Jeff? I did not. All right, Quite well, a shocker to me. I mean, Villanova, they're, eight, they're ranked 8 right now, 21 and 7. Um, what do you think about Villanova? I
2: think that they definitely had the potential. Uh, earlier in the year, I liked them a lot more, but they haven't quite lived up to my expectations. But Jay Wright is a terrific coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a lot of experience from that team. They could, just be, just given that experience factor, they could win the Big East tournament and get some momentum there. Um, not a bad pick, but for me personally, just hasn't been as consistent as I'd like them to be.
0: Yeah, we will see how the college basketball season plays out. Only a couple games left for many teams. And then, of course, those conference tournaments and then the big dance coming up soon. You can rely on WZIP Sports to provide all your coverage for the MAC tournaments as well as the big dance, not only on Sports Power Talk, but on our podcasts as well. But let's get right into the MLB. Before the show, I got on the air and teased that we were going to talk about the MLB, the whole lockout situation. Also, Joey Gallo's comments on the shift. But the 2022 regular season, the games will be canceled if a new CBA is not signed by tomorrow. Um, For the fifth straight day yesterday, they did not come to an agreement or had any significant progress. Um, They are going to meet today at 1 p.m. right when we get off the air. But I also saw breaking news this morning that a luxury tax remains an issue, but both sides are within striking distance and the deal could get done tomorrow. So a lot of news coming out saying that they're not even close. The season's likely going to get at least postponed, probably not canceled, um, but at least postponed. And then all of a sudden this morning, quote, within striking distance for this new new CBA that is due. It's a deadline for tomorrow for the, se- for the season to start on time. What do you guys make on this whole... Um, negotiation process between the MLB and the MLBPA and the fact that they could actually be close to a deal with a season starting relatively close, if not on time.
1: Honestly, I like the the MLBPA's idea of calling the MLB's bluff. Absolutely. I really love that idea. When you hold the leverage in the situation, tell the MLB, hey, you know, you guys can go ahead and play play baseball just without any of your players. Good luck with that. I do like their leverage in the situation. Obviously, they're fighting for things like arbitration, things like minimum salaries. I feel like every professional sports league should have something like minimum salaries. When you talk about service time manipulation, tanking is huge in the MLB. These things are important issues to the Players Association. So I do feel like I'm all in favor of them doing that. Obviously, I do feel like that deal will be reached just because like, even though we all want our money, Eventually, you just want to get paid. Yeah. And if games are
0: postponed or canceled, well, it's actually they would be canceled. They are not going to reschedule any games mm-hmm. that do get canceled. So it could be a shorter season. But player pay will also be um, recouped from any games that are canceled. So they're not going to get paid for games that are canceled. Right. So pressure on both sides. and will be players wanting to get what they're fighting for but also want to get paid themselves. Right. MLB owners not wanting to pay um, enough for what the players' association wants, and are also under pressure for just getting the league and season to start on time. So, Jeff, I'll go to you. You're not the biggest baseball fan by any means, but this whole CBA negotiation what do you, what do you make of this whole conversation?
2: I'd like to echo a lot of what Michael just said. I think it's great that the players' association kind of was like, "Yeah, well." go ahead and try to play baseball without us. I really do like that approach and yep. with this uh this agreement trying to be signed, you know, I think that if baseball ends up being at least postponed a little bit, that's not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing is that there's no season. You know, even though I don't particularly watch baseball, I know that a lot of people in the United States do and they want the season to happen. So, as long as an agreement happens and baseball takes place in some form this year, I think it's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. I do agree with you. Um, Even players like Walker Bueller speaked out on Twitter. And players like Juan Soto, Freddie Freeman, and Carlos Carlos Correa and many others don't even know where they're going to play next season because of this whole lockout. It's kind of crazy what's going on. Um, But giving me your guys' best case scenario for baseball in 2022, whether it gets postponed and we get a shortened season or it starts right away, what is your guys' best case scenario?
1: Honestly, I do feel like it does get postponed just a little bit I feel like a couple of those games are not able to be made up obviously people are going to be upset about not being paid but it's going to take some time you know obviously the best case scenario is you know we get this deal done immediately everyone gets what they want and baseball's back but thinking realistically I feel like a few games do get postponed but we still have a successful shortened but successful season Yeah, I agree. I think that some games will get postponed,
2: but baseball has a long season, so I think you'll still be able to determine who the best teams are, and you'll still have
0: a cohesive playoff and um, final situation. Yeah, I do agree with you guys. I could see like a one- or two-month delay Mm -hmm. um, creating a shorter and potentially even more exciting season.
1: Absolutely. I know
0: that shortened season because of COVID was pretty entertaining because every game mattered, so I think a one- to two-month delay you know, it would stink because we would be without baseball. Right. But it would be it would make the baseball that we do get in twenty twenty two all that much better. Um I hope that the MLB players get exactly what they exactly what they want and nothing less. Um, but most importantly, you know, the fans just get baseball back in twenty twenty two. Yeah. That's all we want. So um in other news in the M L B away from the whole lockout situation was Joey Gallo. He came out and talked About the shift. Now, gentlemen, are we familiar with exactly what the shift is? I am not. Michael, are you familiar with
1: what the shift is? I believe so. I believe that has to do with the DH. Am I just totally wrong? you are (laughs) totally wrong. So the shift is
0: like the defensive shift. Okay. So I'll explain it a little bit, and I'll explain like both sides, and then I'll have you guys pick which one you would align with. So the shift is pretty much just the defense Aligns in a way where extra fielders are in spots where certain players usually hit the, hit I see, the ball. I see. So um, like advanced advanced statistics have only made this worse. Um, people are saying that it's ruining baseball. And Joey Gallo, his comments were like, how is he supposed to hit a double or triple when there are six guys standing in the outfield where he's That's tends to hit the ball? Because all these stats, you have stats on every single player, the percentages of where they are likely going to hit it versus where they're not likely going to hit it. And then as a defense, the fielders adjust, they move along. And that's why you see like pictures of three fielders like in between second and third base and only one fielder in between first base and second base. It's because that specific player tends to hit the ball to the left side of the field. So that's what the shift is. Um, Joey Gallo, he is complaining about it as a hitter. Um, he says he gets the defensive strategies and he's all for the defense strategies, but like at some point you do have to change it a little bit. So some people are saying, yes, it is ruining the game of baseball. Even if you hit it right up the middle for that, that smooth, like single or double right up the middle, that is notorious in baseball. Even those are getting picked up by fielders standing right in the middle because that's where you're going to hit it. So are you guys on the stance that this is more so ruining the game of baseball or that's hitters need to learn and adjust themselves and adjust their process on the uh, on their approach to the plate and just learning to hit the other way
1: I do feel like it's it's necessary in the game of baseball I feel like it's it's strategy when you talk about defensive strategy even though he mentioned that he's all for that I do feel like that's somebody who's done their scouting they did their homework they realize hey this person's more prone to hitting right here why would you not want to reward someone? for doing their due diligence yeah. of of studying you. It's like watching film right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. in the yeah. NFL. If you know, okay, maybe I want to play a two three zone against this team, or you know, I wanna only have one deep safety against this team, like you, you've done your due diligence. You you've studied them. I don't feel like that's a very that's that's a rule that that really favors somebody who would be hitting always. I don't feel like that's fair when it comes to other teams in the MLB to have to say, hey, guys, don't don't try to defend this at bat as well as you can. Yeah. That doesn't make much sense to me. I don't think it's ruining the game of baseball. Possibly that would be the reason hitters have to change things up. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Yep. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of just like studying film. Like I feel
2: like at a certain point this wasn't like – found because of advanced statistics like I think if you're a good and intelligent baseball team you study you know where certain players hit the ball Mm -hmm. so you'd be making those adjustments no matter what I I get Joey Galloway's frustration where he feels like everybody knows exactly what he's going to do but I think if you're a hitter I think you have to make the adjustment to not hit the ball in the same place every time so that way you can still execute on offense it's it's a really interesting situation. I never actually thought of this happening in the game of baseball as a non-fan, but mm-hmm. I I don't think you should
0: I don't think you should say that it's ruining the game of baseball because somebody's doing their homework. Yeah. So, I really really struggle with this conversation because I know it's it's just so difficult to be a hitter in the MLB. Right. You know, like even having a 250 batting average nowadays is somewhat a good statistic to have. And it, it's easy to say that pitchers are getting a heck of a lot better pitching. Um, I know that whole sticky substances mm-hmm. scandal last year, but regardless, pitchers are only getting better. And, you know, you have your select few batters that can hit against any pitcher, regardless of um, what side of the field they're hitting the ball to. But adjusting what a batter does at the plate, whether that's swinging earlier or later to hit it or pull it to the left, or send it to the right side of the field, it's a big ask on these hitters. Right. Mm -hmm. And I could see how... I feel like in the MLB, there's two sides. There's people that want the game to be traditional and how it always has been, and there's another side that wants the game to be more entertaining, fast-paced, and exciting and appeal to um, new consumers of the game, people who want to start watching it but find games like that are 1-2 to or things like that. Boring, and maybe even you see it like that, Jeff. Mm -hmm. But... I see, like, a, a MLB without the shift, batters will be performing a lot better, runs would be scoring a lot more, mm-hmm. and it, it does appeal to me in that way, but at the same time, like you said, Michael, we shouldn't be punishing players and teams and defenses for just doing their homework and doing their due diligence right. of defending against batters in a particular way that proves to be worth doing, so... I'm really stuck in the middle on this. Right now, I will agree with you guys because, you know, change can be a scary thing. I think the the MLB will stick to having the shift over anything else. Um, I do think the MLB struggles with getting new viewers because Mm -hmm. it can be seen as boring sometimes.
1: I do feel like that led to the increase in home runs that we're seeing, though. Maybe. whole idea of, okay, I cannot hit this ball into the field at all. I can't hit this into the outfield. It's going to get, like, somebody's going to catch this. That's the entire reasoning behind the significant home run change. That's primarily the way runs seem to be scored. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it, it's a tough conversation to have. Um, I understand like these batters who are advocating against it because it, I'm sure it is really, really frustrating Absolutely. when you hit a ball at the exact timing, exact, exactly where you want to hit it on the bat. And it goes at the exact position that you always want it to go. And then somebody's just right there. There's a fielder there who has the ball right in their glove. And yeah. then before you know it, you're walking to the dugout. So I do understand the frustration. Um, I don't know if there's really a way to fix this because you can't really find a intermediary here. You either have it or you don't. Um, but yeah, I, I like the defensive strategies. I think it makes sense in today's MLB. I'm going to stick with that side, but I also understand the batters and their opinion on wanting to get rid of it and how it could be making the game of baseball a little bit worse, especially for new fans coming into it.
2: And but, real quick, yeah, go ahead. Uh, let me just correct myself. Uh, Joey Gallo, not Galloway.
0: My bad. Yeah, Gallo. All right, well, we're going to head to break our last and final break of today's Sports Power Talk. When we come back, we're going to slightly touch on the Olympics and recap what went down in Beijing for the Winter Games and also talk about the latest in the NFL and for our very own Cleveland Browns, so stay tuned. What's going on, everyone? We are back with more Sports Power Talk. My name is Jake Murren, and I'm the host of today's show. Joining me are my analyst, Michael Matthews. Yes, once again, I have nothing prepared. That's just my name. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's
0: totally fine. And Jeff Longville. What's going on? All right, so let's get right into our last segment here on the Best Sports Talk Show, this side of Lake Erie. With the 2022 Winter Olympic Games, I went down in Beijing. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about here, but really I just want to focus in on Sean White and his Olympic career that came to an end. He's a five-time Olympian, a three-time gold medalist. I hold him very near and dear because I've watched him all my life in the Winter Olympics, and he's just insane at what he does. What are you guys' thoughts on Sean White in his last Olympic performance? You
1: know, I'm, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, oh,
2: okay. Uh, you know, obviously, terrific athlete, an inspiration to many, especially with the younger generation. I'm just happy that he is able to go out
1: um, having the career that he did. I wholeheartedly agree, Sean White. Just watching him in the X Games, primarily. I'm not going to lie to yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, something that I'll never forget. Obviously you have these, you know, once in a lifetime athletes in every single sport and he's definitely one of that. One of those.
0: Yeah, I do agree with you guys. So like I said, five-time Olympian, three-time gold medalist. His first gold medal was back in 2006 in Torino and then 2010 in Vancouver and then 2018 in Pyeongchang. He finished fourth place in his events which was med snowboarding halfpipe this year in Beijing. Um, but like you said, Michael, in his X Games, though, he has 15 gold medals, mm-hmm. five silvers, and three bronze medals as well. Um, he's also earned five medals in skateboarding at the Summer X Games, yeah. two golds, um, two silvers, and one bronze. Um, he's become He became the first athlete to compete and medal in both the Summer and Winter X Games. Not the Olympics, but still impressive. Nonetheless, and I wish him um, a great future in snowboarding. He has definitely inspired a new generation of snowboarders. And Team USA as a whole, they did pretty well, pretty good as well. on um, that. eight gold medals, 10 silvers, and seven bronze for a total of 25 medals. And they placed fourth in terms of countries with the most gold medals. But, gentlemen, it is time for this week's rendition of Around the Rue, where we debate around the table and then bring it to you via our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. So for this week, I figured we would do it um, based off the Olympics. Only comes around once every four years. At least the Winter games do. Mm-hmm. So for Around the Rue, last week, you guys voted 100% that Team LeBron would win the All-Star Game. That's so back on, back on track, they got it right this time. And now this week, we ask... Which is your favorite Olympian between Sean White, my um, probably the face of Team USA for the Winter Olympics mm-hmm. for many years, or Michael Phelps, the face of the Summer Olympics for Team USA in years prior? I'll send it to you guys first. Michael Phelps or Sean White? Not who is better, but who is your favorite?
1: Favorite? I'm almost certain it is Michael Phelps. And... Maybe it's just because I'm more of a, a Summer Olympics type of guy. I feel like majority of the world is Summer Olympics type of people, but mm-hmm. as you can just see from the viewership, people literally didn't want to watch the Winter Olympics, and it came on directly after the Super Bowl. Anyway, uh, the Summer Olympics just it means more, I believe, to the United States, and it seems like it means a lot more to other countries as well. I do feel like Michael Phelps has obviously more success Olympic-wise anyway, but not who's better, just who is my favorite Michael Phelps, for sure. And it's not just because I share a name with him. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I also like the Summer Olympics more,
2: and being that he's been the more accomplished Olympian, and just from what I've seen, I've seen him as more of an icon than Mm -hmm. Sean White, so I'll go
0: with Michael Phelps as well. So this is not my first time during Around the Rue where the two guests pick against my pick. Mm. I'm the lone one saying that Sean White... Is my favorite Olympian, not only between Sean White or Michael Phelps, but probably of all time. Now, this question is, who is your favorite? It's not who is the best. If we're talking the best, that is Michael Phelps. Mm -hmm. He's perhaps the greatest Olympian ever. He has 23 gold medals. He had eight gold medals just in the 2008 games itself. Um, Michael Phelps, great Olympian, without a doubt. But for me, when it comes to swimming versus snowboarding, I'm going to tune in to snowboarding nine times out of ten, unless there's a name like Michael Phelps in that conversation. But if Michael Phelps and Sean White were competing at the same time, if that was even possible, I would probably tune in to Sean White. I just think snowboarding is way more entertaining, and you can see those flaws or you can recognize a great trick at will, whereas, like, swimming, you you just see who's winning. And then, you know, like, they jump off the other side, and then you see who's winning – For me, I like seeing those tricks, especially on the halfpipe. When it comes to snowboarding, halfpipe is definitely one of my favorite events, and that is because of Sean White and what he's been able to do over the years. And Sean White's inspired this next generation of snowboarders. Even Chloe Kim who's killing it on the women's halfpipe Mm -hmm. right now, too. So I'm going Sean White. You guys are sticking with Michael Phelps. Without a doubt, Mm -hmm. Michael Phelps. Man, we will see what our audience has to say on our Twitter poll that will be released at 1 o'clock on our Twitter after the show, at WZIP Sports. Go ahead and participate in that poll, whether you like Sean White or Michael Phelps more as an Olympian. And even let us know why in the comments, whether you like the sport of snowboarding better or just Michael Phelps is that guy. Or, I mean, if you share a name with Michael Phelps, that could very well appeal to you as well. Yeah, that breaking point. Yeah, all the Seans better vote for Sean. All the Michaels better vote for Michael and the, we'll see we'll see what happens. All right, but let's cut right in to the NFL. Obviously, it's the offseason right now, but offseason storylines are still around. Mm-hmm. And the biggest offseason storyline is around Aaron Rodgers and his situation in Green Bay. So, an update on the situation. He is expected to make his decision soon. He doesn't want to keep the Packers waiting, and reportedly there are many trade offers on the table for Aaron Rodgers. What do you guys make of this update, and where do you think Rodgers will end up? Personally,
2: I think it's more likely that he either A, leaves Green Bay and goes to another team, or B, he just retires. Right. He did send out that uh, cryptic Instagram post don't where he... I think that was cryptic. I, I think it I was really because don't. he just randomly thanked a lot of people in the Packers organization, and then he said, no, I, I just wanted to show gratitude for a lot of people, but like... It wasn't right now this point in time, like I don't know. It was poorly
1: timed if yeah. it wasn't if it didn't have that meaning to. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I really don't think it was cryptic. I think he was just trying to show his gratitude and I believe um he broke up with his fiance. Oh, hey, you're, you're right. Yeah, there's right, there yeah. a lot going on in his life. And I think he probably took a week to himself as like a mental focus, get right and then coming out of it he wanted to express that gratitude in a very public way on social media I don't find money like the cryptic side of it I get it I get mm-hmm. how people could turn it that way but personally I just think it was Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers he went on the Pat McAfee show the day later and said that well, it had nothing to do with his decision
2: but right that's and just my maybe thought. maybe it was just bad timing on his part but yeah. if I am a Green Bay fan I'm still going to look at this and be just a little bit worried
0: yeah, I could see that. If that were coming from my quarterback, I would be worried as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I have seen a lot of rumors about a specific team that Aaron Rodgers could be traded to. And that team happens to be a team that one of us is just a huge fan of. That team is the Denver Broncos. Is there any Denver Bronco fan on the there show? There may today? or may not be. So I would like to ask this potential Denver Broncos fan what you would think about a potential Aaron Rodgers trade to Denver. I would absolutely
2: love it. I think it's been the main thing that we've been lacking for the past couple years is good quarterback play. I think you bring Aaron Rodgers in here with the receiving core that we have. We obviously have Nathaniel Hackett, who was his OC last year in Green Bay. I think that he'd fit in very well, and I think that he could elevate us to be at the very least a playoff team.
1: Do you think you could convince one of his favorite teammates and Devontae Adams to you know stop by as well.
2: That would be great. I would really love that, obviously, but I don't know that we have the cap space for both he and Aaron Rodgers, and I think if you look at our current receiver core with Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, KJ Hamler is going to come back. We also have Noah Fant at tight end. I don't – this is going to sound a little bit weird to say, but I don't
1: think we really need Devontae Adams, mm.
2: even though he's one of, if not the best wide receiver in the NFL.
1: I think Aaron Rodgers is a good enough quarterback to – establish that connection with many wide receivers. I do feel like it does take him a while to trust wide receivers, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would be a lot harder if, you know, he only comes to Denver for one season. right? Uh, But I do feel like the defense is there. Um, Sometimes questionable, but it is there. The pieces Mm -hmm. are there. The wide receiver pieces are there. Uh, Who's your running back? Melvin? Melvin Gordon
2: is a free agent, but we drafted uh, Javante Williams. Okay, And I don't know if you've seen him or not, but that dude is a beast. I love watching him run.
1: I believe it. You know, if, if Marcus Anderson was up here, he would be telling the Browns to trade for Aaron Rodgers right now. He'd also That's be facts. calling him a salad. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So <laughs> shout out to Marcus. I um, love Marcus. So I, I don't know, you know, with my own team, the Cleveland Browns, how realistic something like that would be. Obviously, I'm not going to say if we're not giving up way too much. Like, No, no. Like, I don't <laughs> want Aaron Rodgers. No, no no way. But uh, I do feel like we address some of those needs after this season, but I do feel like Aaron kind of stays in Green Bay. I feel like all of this is a lot of hoopla, if I may. And I feel like Aaron Rodgers is going to retire uh, Retire a Green Bay Packer. I don't think they win another Super Bowl,
0: though. That's fair. I could very well see that happening as well. I think you know we had all this drama last season, too, whether he was going to stay with yeah. Green Bay or not. And then it finished with him posting, like, a last dance Mm -hmm. thing. And you kind of think about that, maybe that cryptic social media message that you were talking about, Jeff, about gratitude. Mm -hmm. Personally, I could really see him stay in Green Bay. I think retiring might be out of the picture. Really? I think he either stays in Green Bay or he moves on somewhere else, like a team in Denver. He's coming off two MVP seasons. Like, I don't see him hanging up the boots quite yet. I think he has what it takes to still be a great quarterback in the league for any team, and whatever team gets him shoots themselves right up into Super Bowl contention. Yeah.
1: So if that was the last dance, that was the worst dance ever.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I could see that. Um, but another team. That looking, was like left shark, bro. Yeah. As far as dances are concerned. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Another team looking for a new QB though that came out this week was the Indianapolis Colts. Mm. They're looking to move off from Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz. Um, where would Carson Wentz go? Like potential landing spots? Does he still have what it takes to be a starting quarterback in the NFL? What are your guys' thoughts on this whole situation going on with the Colts? I think
1: Carson Wentz goes to the XFL. That's Ooh, where he deserves really? to be. <laughs> after. Oh, man. Not, even, not even the USFL? You know like what? The XFL? I, I, let's put him there. Let's okay. put him there. Uh, right. Carson Wentz, I am not a fan by any means. This man is capable of throwing four touchdown passes one week, then seven interceptions the next. He is a questionable decision maker. It's all up to whether or not he's able to stay healthy. Offensive line was there for him this time in Indiana. I don't know if he still has it. Mm, I th- those are good points. Um, you look at Carson once last year. He had
2: 12 total turnovers and was 27th in completion percentage. So it makes sense that the Colts might want to look elsewhere. They have around $36 million in cap space. So they could also potentially be in play for Aaron Rodgers if mm. he leaves Green Bay. Um, but again, we'll have to see what happens with that. Uh, some notable free agents... That the Colts have that could affect Rodgers' decision to go to Indianapolis are Eric Fisher, Mark Lewinsky, T.Y. Hilton, Zach Pascal, and Moale Cox. Man.
1: It's tough. And you, the Colts have, you know, Jonathan Taylor back there. Right. They're capable of being a Browns type of team where you're a run first offense. It doesn't matter who's back there at quarterback. But they have the offensive threats at wide receivers as well. So it's like, I don't know, what do you what do you pick? Do you want that star quarterback? alongside Jonathan Taylor, or do you just want that game manager? Do you just want that Kirk Cousins back
0: there, Right. Maybe? Yeah, I was thinking maybe along the lines of a Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm, okay. Well, see, in the thing it's with 100%. that
2: is that Jimmy G has a lot of the same problems that Carson Wentz has, in right. my opinion, yeah. where his decision-making isn't very good.
0: I just see where it could happen. Right. I'm not saying it right. would be an improvement over Carson Wentz, because I think Jimmy G, I don't think he's overrated, but I don't think he's the biggest draw among free agents or among, like, trade targets this season. But I do think Jimmy G gets moved. Um, I know Tampa has been a popular location for Jimmy G to be moved to. Mm. But I could see this new opening in Indy making sense for Jimmy G and him relying on that run game with Jonathan Taylor. I could see how they could have success in that way for Indianapolis. Um, Aaron Rodgers, though, going back to him for just a second, I mentioned how there were many trade offers on the table, mm-hmm. so obviously I think we could predict that one of them would be from Denver. But many trade offers on the table. What other teams do you think have submitted a trade offer for Aaron Rodgers? I
2: I think looking at it right now, I think the Colts potentially, maybe Tampa yeah. Bay, since Brady retired. I can see those both are, of those. Yeah, those are two. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh, but then yeah. again, their cap space
1: issues is kind of hard to overcome. Exactly. So. I also see like a Las Vegas potentially, and I'm not a Derek Carr fan at all. Nor should you be. No, I don't think anybody should be. Um, Well, he's he's okay. He's he's aight. I talked about Russell Westbrook being okay. Derek Carr is okay. Um, I personally wouldn't want him on my team. But anyway, I do feel like Las Vegas is in a position where they're trying to change the culture. Because they had some pretty, you know, yeah. pretty significant this things guy named take John place. Kind of, you
2: know, did something.
1: Yeah. So, you know, they're trying to change the culture a little bit. I feel like Derek Carr is the guy there, but he's not really that good. Really? So, I do feel like Aaron Rodgers is a significant upgrade, to say the least. And I do feel like they're they're crazy enough to trade for him. And it would be yeah, interesting to see, see how he works with
2: Josh McDaniels too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And him throwing to Darren Waller, that would be yeah. Yes, yeah, I don't. You know, and...
2: as a Denver fan, I don't want to really think about that too much, <laughs> yeah. to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. that would be tough. You already have Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert to work. Yeah, yeah. worry I about. I don't need Aaron Rodgers too.
1: That's tough,
0: man. That that would be one insane division if Aaron Rodgers goes there. But so one of those trade offers. Do we think the Browns could be making a bid for? Aaron Rodgers
1: personally I hope not but that's just I fine. hope not as well and I think back to a position we were in where we were coming off a good season obviously it's not this season but we're coming off a good season we get a 14th overall pick we go out and make a splash we trade for a guy by the name of Odell Beckham Jr. obviously it's a different position but it's that splash that we had to make because you know we're heading in a certain direction and we have a good enough pick this time, I do hope we really do build through the draft. I would like to see it. Um, I don't know many times where a, a splash trade really works out in the NFL unless it's followed by another splash like the Los Angeles Rams did by trading for everyone and their mother uh, past season. So I do feel like the Aaron Rodgers thing is a possibility. I don't want to see it just because I feel like we give up too much. We change our mm-hmm. our identity completely. I just don't know if the Cleveland Browns are ready for Aaron Rodgers yet.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you there. Um, Another player that might not be ready to return to Cleveland in this case is Jarvis Landry. Um, Talk about cryptic. He definitely posted some cryptic tweets this past week. Um, Quote from Jarvis Landry on Twitter. I have put the ball in Cleveland's court by telling them I would like to stay, but if not, then I'm confident enough in myself to be a better, healthy me, this year and moving forward, helping do my part in winning a championship elsewhere. Also, tweeted saying, I gave everything, everything in all caps. Mm-hmm. He has one year left on his contract. Um, probably some restructuring deals going on, or at least negotiations going on between him and the Cleveland Browns. Jarvis Landry holds a special place in my heart because of what he did for this organization. Talk about a culture change. He was the one who started. Initiated and built what the Cleveland Browns are today. Mm-hmm. What are your guys' opinions on Jarvis Landry?
2: I, going back to what you said about him putting the ball in Cleveland's court, I think that that is the right mindset for a player to have. If you don't want me, I'll go make plays elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But I do, I think that he did a lot of good for the culture in Cleveland. He changed it a little bit. Uh, it would be a shame to see Jarvis go after he tried to change the culture at the very least. So, yeah, I, if I'm Cleveland, Obviously for what he did, I don't want him to move on because then you don't know what's gonna happen after that. But at the same time,
1: I feel like you have to think about is Jarvis Landry gonna be happy staying here, you know? I think it's tough. You know, as a Browns fan, he does hold a special place in my heart as well just for everything he did for the organization. Taking it from being a winless organization just to winning a couple games then to a playoff appearance and victory over our division rival. It's it's a great story. But with that being said, we have to think realistically. I hate to say it, but I think Jarvis Landry will be on the waiver wire very soon. I do feel like he's cut. I feel like this is a situation similar to like a Joe Hayden. He's capable of still playing in this league. That's no question about that. And we see Joe Hayden still playing at, you know, a very good level to this day. Years after we cut him, I feel like Jarvis is still going to be in this league playing at a good level Unfortunately, it will not be with this organization. It does it just doesn't make much financial sense. Also with such a a significant change ready to be made on the offense as a whole, I do feel like Jarvis is just not here anymore.
0: Yeah, um. I could definitely see that happen. And for Landry, like it must be tough seeing your best friend move away from the Cleveland Browns and win a Super Bowl Instant in the success. same in the same season. So that must be tough on him, weighing hard on him. And then he comes out and says this. If I were to make a prediction, I would guess that Jarvis Landry would no longer be a Cleveland Brown. Mm. Um, But really that would would not fare well with me at all. I'm still not over Joe Hayden at all because I really like Joe Hayden. Um, Your dog's name is Hayden. My dog's name is Hayden. (laughs) That is correct. Um, Named after a Cleveland Brown, not a Pittsburgh Steeler. Mm -hmm. So don't give me that. But... Yeah, Jarvis Landry. I wish him all the best, and even if he does go elsewhere, I hope he shines there as well. If he goes to the Rams, are you still saying the same thing? Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. I hope he plays well. I agree. I hope he does well. That's all I want. Um, even like the Joe Hayden with the Steelers, I hope Joe Hayden plays well, mm-hmm. but I hope the Steelers go zero seventeen. Absolutely, you know, same. And he can have six picks a game as long as they go in seventeen. That's right. Fun with it. So, um, we. Talking about the offseason though, if Jarvis Landry does leave, we're, that draft pick, You know, I don't want to get too cute with it. I don't want to pick maybe that safety or cornerback that a lot of people are talking about. Personally, I think we should go with a wide receiver, whether we keep Landry or not. Um, I know Drake London out of USC is a great talent. He might be picked before we get the opportunity to pick him though. But even then, you have those two OSU wide receivers yeah. in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Do you guys recommend the Browns go wide receiver with the draft pick or maybe going elsewhere?
1: I would need to know where Jarvis is at beforehand, but I do feel like he will not still be with the team at that time. So go wide receiver. Go best available wide receiver as well. Mm -hmm. I agree.
2: I think uh, even if Landry stays, I think adding some more depth at wide receiver is the right move for the Browns Uh to make. I'm right there with you. And as an OSU fan, well, not only as an OSU fan, but... Um, just as an observer of college football in general, I would prefer that the Browns draft one of the OSU wide receivers. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I do agree with you. It would be great to see one of our own Buckeyes transition into a Brown. Um, as far as free agents go for the Cleveland Browns, though, I'm going to name some names here, and then I want you guys to tell me what three names you would target first to resign. So starting off with Jadeveon Clowney, then Malik Jackson, Anthony Walker, David Njoku, Rashard Higgins, and De'Ernest Johnson. Out of those names, give me three that the Browns should try and get locked in for at least another year.
1: I have two that are givens, in my opinion. Davian Clowney and David Njoku. I feel like those are givens. Okay. My third one might surprise you. It is De'Ernest Johnson. Oh, okay. He's he the best running me.
2: back of all time.
1: And I, well, I know he knows, knows that as a, Bronco, as a Broncos fan. I, I know this as a fact. So... Dearness Johnson is my third pick, and here's where it gets kind of tricky for me. Re-signing Dearness Johnson, for me, tells me I'm ready to move on, whether that be a trade or not, with Kareem Hunt. I feel like financially this will make the most sense for the Browns, especially if you're trying to beef up that offense. That means you're letting Hollywood Higgins walk, which hurts, which hurts a lot, with Jarvis Landry potentially. Because that means you're getting rid of that entire wide receiver room that got you to this point. Yeah. But you're welcoming that new culture. And I feel like getting rid of Kareem Hunt financially also opens up a lot of opportunities for us, and I feel like that might be the way we have to go about this. Fair enough, Jeff. I know you're not a Browns fan, but as
0: an observer, what three names would you target first? This is really tough. I think Clowney
2: is definitely a given. Higgins, I think it depends on, obviously, Jarvis and what happens in the draft, if you keep him or not. Uh, I think Anthony Walker would probably be somebody that I would want to keep because, if I'm not mistaken, I feel like you guys aren't exactly the deepest at linebacker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those, I guess, would be the three for me, Clowney, Higgins, and Walker.
0: So my three, Geneva and Clowney, is an absolute lock. Um, he played great last year, and on the other side of the line with Miles Garrett, it worked well. I want them to continue um, that cooperation on the defensive line in seasons to come, and then I'm also going to pick David Njoku. I don't think Austin Hooper is the answer no, for tight end. I'm
1: ready to part ways
0: immediately. He just kind of falls after catching the ball yeah. every single time.
1: I'm good on Austin Hooper.
0: Yeah, I'm good on Austin Hooper. It would save us money, and I think David Njoku, even though he wanted out of Cleveland, In the past, I think he really is here to stay. Mm -hmm. I think he mixes well with Baker Mayfield as well. Uh, Just needs to work on his hands just a little bit, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But David Njoku, I think he can develop into that number one tight end role. I would definitely try and get David Njoku signed alongside Clowney. And my third pick, I'm actually going to go with Anthony Walker here. Mm -hmm. Um, We had some injuries at linebacker last year. I think Anthony Walker was consistent enough to be that starting linebacker. Uh, With a guy like J.O.K., and he provides that leadership in a room of linebackers that could definitely use it as well. So I'm going with Walker. I am surprised that he picked Dearness Johnson, though. I think he is going to get paid more by somebody else. So I think that just makes more sense for Dearness Johnson to move away. And then Rashard Higgins, I think he's talented enough to where he could be a number like two or number three option somewhere else. And honestly, like Rashard Higgins had that immediate connection with Baker Mayfield, but for whatever reason, it started with Freddie Kitchens. I hate saying his name, even. Yeah, I know, but just never used Higgins. He got phased out ever since. And then even Kevin Stefanski kind of didn't use Higgins that much either. I mean, we've seen him here and there, but not to the extent that he was used in his rookie season with Baker Mayfield. DPJ's that guy now. Yeah, yeah, and I would say like with Rashard Higgins, it would it would hurt, but I would be okay with seeing him walk just because I think we should prioritize guys like Anthony Walker, David Njoku and J- Davion Clowney. Um, I know one of the biggest question marks with the Cleveland Browns before we um, head off the air is Baker Mayfield. Uh, Miles Garrett was quoted saying this week about Baker Mayfield, that he is my guy. He's stuck by us. I'm a stick by him. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on Baker Mayfield and this whole Situation with the Cleveland Browns and what would your guys' ideal starting quarterback be for the Cleveland Browns heading into next season?
1: I just want to win. That's one thing I want to say. I, I really just want to win. And I want to win the big thing everyone wants to win. I want to win a Super Bowl. And I don't know for a fact if Baker Mayfield is the one to get that done. With that being said, obviously I want him to be. I feel like Baker was how we say about Jarvis. He, he kind of changed the culture here. He deserves that. But when we talk about needing to get from point A to point B, I don't know if he's capable of doing that yet. I don't like the fact that we're heading into, what, his fifth year here, and we're still not sure about the guy. That's just not, it's just not a good look. So the ideal starting quarterback for me is Baker Mayfield. But come you know, next season, if it's still not looking too good, if we still have Keenum there, I guess we have no other choice. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: I, I agree. I think there's a lot of cloudiness around the Baker and starting quarterback situation as a whole. If we're talking about just next season, I think the Browns' ideal quarterback is Baker because he's familiar with the system, mm-hmm. and I think he could be much better if he's healthy, unlike last year. But after this season, I think the Browns will have a clear picture of, okay, do we want to keep Baker or do we want to move on? I think that they'll have that picture in their head, and that's we'll see what happens uh, with them next year with that.
0: Yeah, my ideal starting quarterback next year is Baker Mayfield. I am well-known as a Baker lover Mm -hmm. or supporter. I can't stand people that hate on him because it just boils down to, like, why don't you like the success of your own team? Right. Like, celebrating that he – or not celebrating that he throws a pick, but saying, see, I told you Mm so, does nothing.
2: Are you referencing anybody in particular?
0: (laughs) There might be somebody in (laughs) mind, but there's – it's a big fan base that are like that for the mm, Cleveland Browns. Okay. It's Actively more than just one against. person. Actively rooting against your own player does nothing good. Yeah. And it messes with their mental standpoint as well. Baker's not even on social media anymore. He mm-hmm. is, but he's not active. Um and honestly, I'm saying it right now, Baker Mayfield 2022 or 23 season NFL comeback player of the year. Mm. I could see it happening. Definitely regressed this year. I think a lot of that goes towards the injury. Um, And I think the Browns fix everything, get that mold together, what they should be and what they could be next season. And Baker Mayfield has a great year and becomes that 2022-23 NFL comeback player of the year. I'd love to see that. All right. Well, that will wrap it up for us for Sports Power Talk on 88.1 WZIP. Any last thoughts on today's show, gentlemen? I hope Aaron Rodgers comes to Denver. Fair enough. And the I, Cavs are back.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh please draft Lauren or not draft. Please sign Lauren Christian Jackson. I say that every time I'm up here. He's an outstanding player. Just sign him in the NBA. Anyway, make sure to listen to McFadden and Matthews in the morning, every single yeah. Tuesday and Thursday, seven AM to nine AM. Me and my guy Nick do a morning show right here on WZIP.
0: There you go. So I'll just say go Cavs, go zips, uh Sean White. Greatest Olympian, in my opinion. Not not the greatest, but my favorite, at Mm. least. Um, Go Browns. Baker Mayfield, comeback player of the year next season. You heard it here first. And, yeah, go participate in Around the Rew on our Twitter page. Also, check out our podcast. A UFC episode is going to be dropping tomorrow morning on SBT Overtime. So, definitely tune in to that as well. But that will do it for us at S on Sports Power Talk. Joining me was... Michael Matthews. And Jeff Longville. My name is Jake Murrin. We will see you same time and place next week.